0: We've all had moments of recognition. Moments when we've recognized something awesome about the world around us. Moments when we've seen places and people around us in a new way. Moments when we've recognized something strange and mysterious even within us. Well, today marks the fifth in our Lenten sermon series, Following Christ. In our New Testament lesson for this morning that George just read for us, we find a ragtag band of travelers. You know them as the disciples. They're getting ever closer to Jerusalem, and Jesus knew he was being drawn closer to Jerusalem by God. And that in two short days they would celebrate the Seder meal together. Here, our text as Jesus begins again, saying, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up and crucified. The chief priests and elders of the people gathered in the palace to the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and they took counsel together in order to arrest him by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be a riot among the people. Let us make no mistake. The chief priests and scribes had no love or patriotism for Rome, who was the controlling power of all the land. They were occupied by Rome but they had even less desire to risk their own positions on account of this Jesus character. He was a threat to the status quo and their power. They only saw him in a way that they wanted to see and it was threatening. It was threatening. A family was... uh, a few years ago, a family was going to the Grand Canyon to see it for the first time. And as they got to one of the overlooks, their teenage daughter was on her phone. And the dad said, you know, you should look up. And She looked around and she said, where is that beautiful scene everybody talks about? She's looking right at the Grand Canyon. You see, seeing God's reality is crucial in the life of faith. And admittedly, we do not always see clearly. Sometimes we miss the perceptive moment not recognizing God's presence at all. And yet we know there are times when we see with the inner eye of faith. That's why we're here today. For we have all, at some time or another, caught glimpses of God's light and truth in our lives. The greatest thing a human soul ever does in this world is to see something and tell what it saw in a plain way, wrote the author John Ruskin. He continues, Hundreds of people can talk for one who can think But thousands can think for one who can see. To see clearly is poetry, prophecy, and religion all in one. Or as George Perkins Marsh has observed, sight is a faculty. Seeing is an art. Seeing is an art. Well, in our text, we encounter a woman who sees beyond the superficialities of life. This woman, unknown by name, rushes up to Jesus and immediately proceeds to anoint him. Now, why would she have done such a thing unless she had recognized him as the Messiah and the Messiah who was to die? But they did not Jesus had been talking about his coming death with the disciples. But they didn't fully understand what Jesus meant. But implied from the text, this woman was aware of who Jesus was and what must take place. The 17th century mystic Angelus Silesius captured a marvelous insight when he wrote, People have two eyes, two eyes. One only sees what moves in fleeting time, the other what is eternal and divine. The anointing woman in our story brought both of these eyes together in focusing on Jesus the Christ, recognizing who he was and his ensuing demise. This is our first feature for following Christ. Suggested by our text in recognizing. 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 Which leads to the second, which is risk. Risk. Linus is, uh, you know, the Peanuts gang, Linus is dragging his blanket behind him. It's on the ground and Snoopy comes along and puts one paw on the blanket. Linus says, You get your paw off my blanket, you stupid dog, or be prepared to suffer the consequences. Well, Snoopy lifts his paw off and he sighs and then he slumps down on the ground as Linus walks away and he says, My life is full of unsuffered consequences. (laughs) How easy it is to know unsuffered consequences when one is unwilling to take risks in life. You know the old saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So it is in the life of faith. Fortunately, the anonymous woman in the passage was not afraid to take a risk. Let's turn back to the text. Verses 6 and 7. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, Notice where he is, where he's located. He's located not with the high and mighty, not with the powerful, the people of prestige. He's in the house of Simon the leper. And a woman came up to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Now, in Luke's Gospel, this similar story is told, but the ointment is poured on his feet. Here it's on the head. In her rush of recognition, this woman barged right up to Jesus and began to anoint him. What a risk that must have been for her in a room presumably full of men. Simon the leper and we presume the twelve disciples. You know, keep in mind, 2,000 years ago, women didn't count for much. and In some societies today, they still don't. It was a bold, risky thing she did. And Jesus not only accepted her, he also praised her. For God's kingdom reality is non-sexist. It should not surprise us that the title we ascribe to Jesus, that is, of Christ, means the word Christ, it's not his last name. You often hear Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. It really should be Jesus the Christ. It means the anointed one. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. It's not a name. He is the anointed one of God. And we all know that oil is a lubricant, right? It helps things when they come together to work smoothly together. Without oil and certain mechanisms, we know what happens. They don't work. The kings of Israel, they were all anointed with oil on their head. Solomon, Saul, David. The symbolism was that God's presence, power, and will would flow smoothly into the king and out to the people. That's what was supposed to happen. Did it all the time? We know it didn't. But that was the intent. That's what the symbolism of the coronation and the anointing was about. Jesus being the Christ was the anointed one par excellence. So here in this morning's text, Jesus is being anointed And we can presume for his upcoming death not to assume an earthly kingship. He's being anointed for his coming burial, but also for his kingly coronation. I mean, what was his crown? A crown of thorns. His throne? A cross. But he's also being anointed for the power and love of God which are to flow through him in his death and crucifixion on the cross and what was to follow? His glorious resurrection. All of this is present in this image and symbolic act of the woman. Jesus is being anointed because he is trusting in God so much that he will risk his life, his very life on the cross. And we know it wasn't what he wanted. He wanted to avoid it. And wouldn't we all? But not my will, but yours. Be done. But well, when we go back to the text, we see that the disciples, they're, they're not happy about any of this and they're angry and they're still not understanding it. Here's verse 8 and following. Now when the disciples saw her anointing him, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? This, anoint, this anointment this ointment might have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, sensing it, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For you always have the poor with you. She's done a beautiful thing. But you will not always have me. In pouring this anointment on my body, she has done it to prepare it for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are today carrying on Why this waste, asked the disciples. The jar and its contents were worth more than a person's wage for a whole year. Okay, that's a boatload of money. In a way, you can't blame the disciples, for they were following Jesus' teaching to consider and take care of the poor. In fact, In the passage preceding today's lesson, Jesus has been explaining that when you do it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. You know, things like clothing somebody, giving somebody food and drink. That's taking care of the poor. Jesus offers a penetrating answer to his disciples' question, why this waste? He says, the poor you will always have with you. Now, Jesus is not asserting... The hopeless inability to overcome the poverty of the world. That's not what he's talking about. What he is observing is that this is a very unusual circumstance. There is time enough to serve the poor. His death is being planned for by the leaders of the people and he will be around a little longer. This woman has rightly discerned the moment as the time for anointing his body for burial. It's an affirmation of his messiahship even in death. And therefore her risk is an act of faith. That's why Jesus said, I assure you that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, the deed she has been doing will be recounted in memory of her. John Sheldon makes the following analogy for risk-taking. A ship in a harbor is safe. But that's not what ships are for. In the life of faith, we are not called to security. That's what we want, but that's not what we're called to. We're called to risk. William Sloan Coffin, who was for many years the senior minister of the Riverside Church in New York City, said the only security in in life lies in embracing insecurity. Faith in Jesus Christ, far from diminishing the risks, inspires the courage to take them on. Recognizing who Christ is once we get it, once we recognize who Christ is, it can lead us to risk-taking in the life of faith. And that leads to our third feature for following, which is renewing. Renewing. Although we don't know what happened to the intriguing woman in our text, I suspect that her life after that, that day was anything but dull surely because of the encouragement Jesus gave her by saying she had done a beautiful thing, she found renewal and a deepening of faith. There is, however, another response as opposed to the praise and adoration offered by Jesus, offered, that, that, offered, that Jesus offered to the woman. There's the response of Judas. Let's not forget old Judas. Picking it up at the 14th verse. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. They literally weighed it out. Thirty pieces of silver. It's a figure that we know comes from the Old Testament. It was the value Of a Hebrew slave. It's kind of interesting. The value of a Hebrew slave. Jesus too had a, or Judas, excuse me, Judas had a recognition too. He recognized the symbolism in the act act of anointing and what was to happen, and he left in disgust to betray him. Recognition in the Christian life produces one of two responses either praise or the unacceptability of unpleasant truth, which leads to disgust. Judas was unwilling to risk following the way of the Christ. Many scholars believe he thought Jesus was to be an earthly Messiah. And so he was trying to force his hand to take a physical revolution against the Romans. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus says outright, remember this when they're around the table the Last Supper, he says, one of you will betray me. And they went around and they said, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? But when it came to Judas, he says, is it I, Rabbi? He didn't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And when in the garden he betrayed him with a kiss, he went up and kissed him and said, Rabbi, not Lord. He had not recognized him fully for who he was. But Judas did not know that God's love as poured out through Jesus would be greater than any power, even death itself. In a novel called Godric, Frederick Beekner has a character note, What's lost is nothing to what's found, and all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. Whenever we hear mention of the death and crucifixion of Jesus in Scripture, we need to make the connection that, re- that resurrection and renewal are close at hand. Do you think he's dead? Pilate's wife asked the centurion in John Maysfield's play, The Trial of Jesus. No, lady, I don't, the soldier answered. Then where is he? she asked. Uncertainty and fear were penetrating her words. Let loose in the world, Lady said the centurion, where neither Roman nor Jew can stop his truth. Even after his death on the cross, his truth could not be stopped. As the old hymn says, his truth is marching on. Of the three main characters in our passage, Jesus, the woman, and Judas. Which one are you? I suspect there's a little bit of each in us, if we're honest. Because we can identify with all three of them. Certainly with Jesus and the suffering He was about to enter into. We too may know well of Christ, as did Judas, and still there are times when we deny and betray. Maybe not explicitly, but in little ways. And hopefully we can identify with the woman who in a rush of recognition risked embarrassment and being ostracized for the renewing possibility of Christ's death and resurrection. And so we are provided three ways for following Christ. Recognizing can lead to risking, which can lead to renewal. Recognizing who Christ is leads to risking in faith and then the renewing presence of God in Christ Jesus our Lord through the mysterious power of his resurrection. You're just getting a taste for Easter. It's coming. It's coming. Well, I want to conclude by a poem from John Oxenham. He writes, Not what, but Whom, I do believe that in our darkest hour of need has comfort that no mortal creed to mortal ones may give, not what, but whom? For Christ is more than all the creeds and his full life of gentle deeds. Shall all the creeds outlive, not what I do believe, but whom? Who walks beside us in the gloom, who shares the burden wearisome? Who all the day who he does illume and bids us look beyond the tomb the larger life to live. But whom? Not what. But whom? As we follow Christ, will we recognize Him? Will we risk will we welcome renewal. Thanks be to God for the larger life we can live in, with, and through Christ Jesus, our Lord.